Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Friday, April 21st starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes acclaimed sports journalist, Kevin Blackestone. I'm going to go out on a limb here, take a wild guess, going to say Ben's going to talk about the Bulls today. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this an Insider Hire Friday, and here's why. Well, really, it's Friday, so what a week. We're going to review the news with my distinguished guest, Kevin Blackstone, dear friend of mine, uh, has so... Uh, just so generously agreed to come on the show. But before we bring Kevin on, I'm going to just talk about a lead item on my mind. This one is a trip, ladies and gentlemen. It kind of sums up Chicago at the forefront, at the very start of the Brandon Johnson era. So let me just do a little background. Brandon Johnson is, this is important to note, a lefty, comes from the left side of the Democratic Party. He was with the Chicago Teachers Union, which is very much on the left side of the Democratic Party. He was first elected Cook County Board Commissioner by running against an incumbent, Richard Boykin, who is very much a centrist. So he first entered government on the left side of the Democratic Party uh, when there was some mayhem in the the loop this week with uh, teenagers losing their minds and running around or racing around being total knuckleheads, as teenagers tend to do sometimes. Uh, He didn't say that they should just be locked up. Lock them up. No, he says, please don't demonize all the people, all the teenagers in the city of Chicago. So just in that comment alone, you know that he's on the left side of things. And I might add, he's a black man. Okay, so a black leftist. As such, you would think to read and hear the reactions of mainstream editorial writers, journalists, corporate leaders, civic-minded types, and politicos, we have entered a very scary era in Chicago. Be scared. The city isn't. We know it will fall into the lake. Sears Tower will jump into Lake Michigan. The trains will stop running. Garbage will not be picked up. Police will not police the streets. It'll be Gotham City. That's kind of like what's in the minds of Chicagoans. And by the way, it's a complete repeat of 1983. When Harold Washington was elected, 
And let me remind you, Harold Washington was not only a black man, he was a leftist. That usually gets left out of things. Harold Washington was more left than I am. No, he's a, we were about the same, I would say. Be fair, we were about the same. He was a lefty. Part of the reason I love him so much. By the way, Jesse Lewis Jackson, I'd just like to point this out, another lefty. Just got to point that out. So when Harold was elected, same fears. Oh, my God. Can he run the city? You know, you never hear these fears when, like, a white guy's elected. White centrist. And then, like, when I talk to people about this, it's an interesting conversation, particularly when I talk to white people about it. So right before the election, I'm talking to people, who are you going to vote for? Well, I think I'm going to vote for Paul Vallis. Why? Why are you going to vote for Paul Vallis? He's a MAGA sympathizer. You're a, a liberal Democrat. You're a lakefront liberal. Well, I'm very concerned about Brandon's lack of experience. Oh, what do you mean by his lack of experience? Well, he's never run a major city like Chicago before. Well, neither had Rahm Emanuel. You didn't seem worried about him. Neither had Richie Daly. You didn't seem worried about him. I can't think of any mayor elected mayor to city of Chicago who had ever run a city of Chicago before. <laughs> it's not like something you go to college to do. You know what? You hire capable people. You surround yourself with smart people. You have good judgment. 90% of the city runs itself. Mayor Rahm had this thing. like he, I remember the essay he wrote for the New York Times, which is a joke on many fronts, uh, where he was basically using that platform to mock New York City because they were having transit troubles. And he was like, here in the city of Chicago, I don't have transit troubles. Our trains run smoothly. Our trains run on time. He's like Mussolini all of a sudden. You would think to read that essay by Rahm Emanuel that he himself were driving the trains. The only thing Rahm Emanuel knows about trains is that every now and then he took one to go downtown. But that's like the psyche of people in the city of Chicago. And I'm speaking to you, my white listeners. You are so embedded in this notion that somehow or other, you need a white person in charge. You never even think about this stuff. You never even challenge it. Anyway, this is all a lead in to say that Brandon Johnson has never got so much positive attention as he has received for this announcement that he hired a man named Rich. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Gudice? Gudice? Gudice, I think it is. That's embarrassing. I should have checked the name before I went on the mic. But that proves something. I have no bias against this guy. I don't even know this guy. He's an inside city hall bureaucrat. I don't cover city hall on a day-to-day -day basis. Every single beat reporter in the city of Chicago seems to know, know him. And they're like, oh, my God, thank God. This guy's an insider. He understands city government. The headline in the Sun-Times, an insider hire. Johnson chooses city hall lifer for his chief of staff, the most important role a mayor has to fill especially one without executive experience. <laughs> they not, none of them had executive experience of running city hall, but they're acting like Brandon Johnson's the first mayor the city of Chicago has ever had, who has no executive experience. What executive experience did Rahm have? He was, you know what he was? He was chief of staff to president Obama. One of the dumb, dumbest of decisions that president Obama ever made, which he rectified by kicking him out of office and sending him back to Chicago to destroy our city. Thanks for nothing, President Obama. <laughs> so he kicked him out of the White House for being a terrible executive.
a terrible chief of staff, and somehow or other, the people in the city of Chicago go, I know, this guy was a terrible chief of staff, a total douche. It irritated everybody, angered everybody. Michelle Obama couldn't take him for one minute. Valerie Jarrett couldn't stand the sight of him. We'll elect him our mayor. <laughs> and nobody's saying, like, the most important decision he has is who will be his chief of staff. I don't believe there's one person in the city of Chicago who can tell you who Rahm Emanuel's chief of staff is was at any given time, you know? No, but it's like, they're what, you know what they're telling us? What they're telling us, don't worry, Chicago. Brandon won't be running City Hall. This guy, Rich, that you don't know, never heard of, never voted for, know nothing about, don't worry, he'll be running the city. We'll just let that black guy go have press conferences. Don't worry, the white guy will be in charge. That's what they're telling you, Chicagoans. And you know what? It's a subterranean message. I know you're like feeding it and you're vibing at it. And you're like, oh, I'm so relieved. Rich, who I never heard of before. <laughs> Thank God he hired Rich. Did the all-important job of chief of staff. You realize they go through chief of staffs like people go through underwear. You understand that? <laughs> like one a year. They, whenever something goes wrong, they usually blame the chief of staff and they fire the guy. You know, so <laughs> it's not like it's the most. I don't know. There's a police superintendent vacancy right now. That's a pretty important job. Somebody's going to be in charge of the schools. We don't know who that will be. That's a pretty important job. They should just hire all white people. That'll reassure all those lakefront liberals. Thank God. People who know how to run a city are running the city. Oh, my God. You are such a trip, Chicago. You say and do things all the time, but you can see what you're really saying and what you're really doing. You know, and the only reason I notice stuff is because I'm so old. I remember going through the same thing with Harold Washington. He brought in, I forget the dude's name. I could see his face from Milwaukee to be the budget guy. His name was D Dave Schultz. God, that came out of the out of nowhere. And Dave Schultz was a white guy. And they're like, put him out there. Hey, Chicago Tribune and sometimes editorial boards. Look, we got a white guy running the budget. And then they had some guy in Streets and Sands. I forget his name. But he was a white guy. Hey, Chicago, look, white guy running streets and sands. Oh, thank God. The garbage trucks will get out. <laughs> you guys are a trip, Chicago. This is the messages you send to you. you it's like secret messages that you beam to each other. Beam, 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 beam. <laughs> I'm so reassured. I was so scared. <laughs> the mayor, I didn't, he's, he's inexperienced. He's never run a city before. Neither has, by the way, Rich, the guy who got to, he never ran a city either. <laughs> he was a city hall insider. He never ran a city. Listen, I'm sure he's really smart. It's nothing against him. I don't know him. I can't even pronounce his name. I'm sure he can't pronounce my name either. So it's, we're even there. I hope he does a great job. This is not a, not a rap on him, but I'm just saying, guys. I don't know. Could you cover it up a little bit? You know what I mean? Could you make it less obvious? Oh, thank God he hired a white man. I could sleep at night. All right. I'm done ranting and raving for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. My dear friend, Kevin Blackstone, one of the first people I met when I moved to the city of Chicago uh, and uh, is a sports writer for the Washington Post, uh, movie producer, 
a journalism professor. Uh, he's really done a lot. And uh, a, uh, <laughs> a very loyal, if you could see this, ladies and gentlemen, I took a picture, a very loyal fan of all teams in the Washington area. Absolutely. Uh, and so this he's wearing... a 2019 World Series Washington Nationals cap, by the way. Go ahead. Ah, uh, yes, 2019. That's when you stole a manager from the Chicago Cubs. Oh, you had to put a Cub oh, guy in to run the show. That's just like with City Hall. <laughs> let's not re- let's not forget what Davey Martinez's record was early in that year. Ooh, I've... They were like 19 and 30, 36 or something. We were, so we, I was, we were looking for a new manager already. Goodness, so you pulled it together. You're emphasizing like the part of the year that was bad, overlooking <laughs> when, when he had nothing to do with it. Anyway, all right, that was that was your moment. By the way, before we, uh, I ask you uh, to um, to weigh in on my th- opening thoughts and then uh, your other mm-hmm. news of the week, I, I I have to ask you this. I have to make a confession and and I want to know if you feel I did some great betrayal. So, uh, as you know, I uh, grew up in Evanston and I was a Cubs and a White Sox fan. I saw no reason to pick one or the other. Uh, Die hard both. I went to many Cubs games with you over the years and White Sox games for that matter when you lived in Chicago. You were not partisan. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I'm just so sick of the Cubs because the, the ownership is a bunch of Trumpites that I just said, I'm through with them. And when I was visiting my kids in Cali, uh, my son-in-law and I went to a Dodgers game. Mm. And uh, it happened to be last Saturday's game, which was Jackie Robinson Day. Everybody's wearing number 42. Of course. Uh, and they were passing out uh, jerseys. Mm. I they, they were free jerseys, Jackie Robinson jerseys, with number 42 on Dodgers on the front. Okay? Kevin, I took a jersey... I put it on. I was photographed with it. Have I betrayed the city of Chicago? Go. (laughs) Uh, No, you have not, because obviously you are celebrating um, one of the great athletes of all time, one of the great Americans of all time, as we like to say. Um, uh, You haven't betrayed anything, but uh, the Jackie Robinson story has been co-opted by Major League Baseball to whitewash its history for 60 years of not allowing the progeny of enslaved Africans to play their game. And so now Major League Baseball has turned this into a celebration. Look what we've done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We've we've integrated America. Thank goodness for it. Jackie Robinson and and number 42. Oh, we're not going to tell you about the time he he was court-martialed in the military, right, for refusing to give up his seat when another officer told him he had to because he was sitting next to a white woman, which he was not, and which was not against um, military code at that particular time. And and Jackie Robinson cursed the guy out and, and won his case. They don't. They don't really tell you about that. Um, they don't tell you about what Jackie Robinson said in his last speech to the public when they when he was honored about how disappointed he was with the lack of diversity, the lack of opportunity for black men who wanted to be managers in the game. No, they don't. They don't tell you about that. 
And they don't tell you about the fact that they changed his plaque um, against his wishes in Cooperstown, which in the beginning just had his numbers on there. Stolen bases, championship, batting average, all that kind of stuff. And then they stuck on there, oh, yeah, and he integrated the game, um, which he didn't want on his play. So uh, that's what 42 has become. That's what this celebration has become all around the league. Uh, to me, a real whitewashing of history and a, and a disingenuous celebration of someone. All right. I was not ready to go down this path. We're on the path. <laughs> Uh, I could just tell you the best laid plans. We had a pre-show production <laughs> out the window. Uh, so wait a minute. I did not know. Uh, and I thought I knew absolutely everything about sports. I did not know that um, that last riff you had about uh, he want they changed his plaque. Yeah. Elaborate a little bit on that one. He did not want to be noted on his plaque that he integrated baseball. Go ahead. Right. He did. Yeah, he did not. So. Um, for years, I've railed against Cooperstown for not indicating on Cap Anson's plaque. Um, and Cap Anson is the greatest baseball figure in the 19th century. He was a, as a player, as, um, as a manager, as an innovator. Um, but his biggest contribution to baseball, to me, is the fact that he's the guy who got baseball to draw the color line so that there, there was a black major league baseball player in the 1880s by the name of Fleetwood Walker, Moses Fleetwood Walker um, and his brother Weldy. And there were a couple, couple of others who, who depending on how you define major league baseball could have been or would have been. Um, but he refused uh, Cap Anson to play against teams that had um, Fleetwood Walker on him. And he eventually convinced everybody else to do the same. And so Fleetwood Walker was, was drummed out of baseball. Um, but that is not reflected on Cap Anson's plaque. So I rail against this. And one time um, I was interviewing one of the, one of the heads of, the, of Cooperstown. And uh, I said, why don't you all just change the plaque to reflect this contribution of Cap Anson to baseball, which by the way, is greater than baseball because because by then baseball was come, becoming our Ameri becoming America's pastime, and every other sport began to follow its lead as a Jim Crow sport, right? Every other sport, um, and and I remember they told me, "Oh no, we don't we don't change we don't change plaques." And I said, "Au contraire, <laughs> we changed Jackie Robinson's plaque, yeah, and apparently against his wishes." And they were like, oh, well, yeah, oh, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, you know, that's. Oh, the, my God. That's the wow. There. No, they. All right. So we're totally within a tangent, within a tangent. But as long as we're here, I have to tell you this story. OK, a shout out uh, Dave Lawrence, good friend of mine who lives uh, in Southern California. Dave, this is for you. So go back in time a week. Mm. Uh, I'm going to the uh to the Dodgers game it's Jackie Robinson day yeah I uh got my Jackie Robinson shirt on Dave's friend uh dear friend of my son-in-law's uh we wanted him to come he he didn't come hmm. I should tell you uh that Dave is a die 
diehard Giants fan. Okay. Okay. He's born and raised in the Bay Area. I think it from he's from Oakland. Loves the Giants. Okay. Now he lives in Southern California. So as such, he's pretty much the only person I know who wants nothing to do with Jackie Robinson Day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm texting him like, why don't you, I wish you were at the game with the, I, we texted, we showed right. him the, we sent him the picture of us wearing the Jackie Robinson shirt, really the Dodgers shirts okay, right, right, right. to really kind of stick the needle in a little bit. And he, he writes back, uh, uh, all due respect, he's not really the first African-American player in the league. And then he sent me uh, an article which headlines, Moses Fleetwood Walker was the go. first African-American to play pro baseball six decades before Jackie Robinson. This is day. <laughs> there you go. The great Moses Fleetwood Walker out of um, – out of uh, Oberlin. Yes, he went to Oberlin. Oberlin. And not only that, um, but very educated. Obviously, he went to Oberlin. Northwestern. Um, well, well, this is what I was going to say. He wrote, before Marcus Garvey, he wrote a text arguing why the project of enslaved Africans should depart the United States and move back to Africa. And he was, he was in the forefront of the Back to Africa movement. And his book was called, uh, or his treatise was called um, something like Our Country. Uh, I can't remember the exact title. Wow. But he, beat, he, was, he was ahead of his time and as I, an intellectual and a, polit and a politico and, and a nationalist. Uh, I also believe, I'm not 100% sure of this, that he's related to the Fleetwoods of Evanston. My hometown, there's a Fleetwood family that was very prominent in Evanston. They mm. named uh, a center for the Fleetwood Jordan. Uh, it's like a basketball. It has mm -hmm. sports, arts, theater. It's a theater mm. complex uh, near um, the former Martin Luther King Lab. Anyway, neither here than there. I, they, I just think, like, I bet you they're related. I just got to – I've well, looked it up. I've yeah. never been able to prove it, Kevin, but I just – Fleetwood, so Fleetwood Right. Yeah. Well, Fleetwood is his, is his nickname. Walker's his last name. So oh, okay. Maybe, well, then maybe no relation yeah, at maybe all. No, maybe no relation. I was hoping for it's one. A great, it's a great name. Uh, it is a great name. And uh, shout out to Dave. Uh, I just thought he was just a hater because he hates the Dodgers. But <laughs> <laughs> No, there you go. Uh, he, dropped, he dropped that history bomb on you. No, he oh. did. I got to give him a lot of credit. He's a young guy, too. He's he's a millennial. He's Good. Hey, for a millennial, you know your stuff. Um, all right. Uh, before uh, before I move on uh, to what's on your mind, uh, do you have any thoughts you want to add uh, to my opening rant and rave? Well, uh, so it's, it's, it's the comfort in the white savior, right? It, that's exactly what it is. And... Uh, you know, and I'm just thinking about it in terms of uh, the documentary that I, I worked on that is um, that is uh, opening in Chicago uh, today, this evening, seven o'clock, Gene Siskel Theater downtown. Um, we talk about uh, Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves. And one of the folks that we interviewed just talk, just observes that it is so much a part of the American psyche because here's Kevin Costner, a white guy who is more native than the natives in the movie, right? And he's the hero in, in the movie. So, um, 
you know, that's not a, that's a, that's a trope um, that's been around um, forever. And uh, it's a shame that folks in Chicago would feel more comfortable, or maybe even that Brandon Johnson, I, I don't know, would feel more comfortable if he, or if he felt like he had to do that to garner some sort of, um, uh, some sort of comfort, um, create some sort of comfort for, for the folks who just elected me. He didn't have to do that, but maybe, but then the other thing is, as you kind of alluded, it may not be a knock on the guy. Maybe he is the best guy. Maybe he is, but that's, but you, you can't help, but, but suspect that. Yeah, no, I, it's, uh, it, you're right. I, again, I have to repeat this over and over again. Right. I'm, I, I'm sure, I hope he does a great job. I'm sure he's a great guy. It's just the emphasis, Kevin, right. uh, on like, it's like I said, few, W-H-E-W. And I I read so much into it because, yeah. All right. Go a little bit more into your movie. I don't even think you gave the title. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't. The name of the film is Imagining the Indian, Fight Against Native American Mascotting. And uh, it's a film um, idea that I started back in 2014. Um, and as you laid out, you know, I'm all about every sports team in Washington. Um, grew up here, um, just like you in Chicago. Like, I love all my teams. Um, uh, I still don't know how the, how the Bullets lost to, to the Bulls in that <laughs> rookie game for Michael Jordan, who, by the way, was like five for 16 in that game in 40 minutes. I can't believe they played him that long and like celebrate all like he won the game. Oh, please stop. Um, uh, so, it's, by the way, a game that was played in 1984, ladies and gentlemen. He's still right. talking about it. Go ahead. Well, yeah, because we had to come into the game. Who was our star player? Dudley Bradley. Do you remember him? Of course you don't remember him because he's really not a star. But that's a story for another time. So at any rate, um, yeah, so I started working on this, this uh, with, with another buddy of mine, Sam Bardley, here in D.C. And if you ever saw the Lynn Bias doc on ESPN, Without Bias, he was one of the co-producers, co-writers for that. And um, we decided to do this because it looked like in 2014, because of a ruling by the uh, U.S. Uh, Patent and Trademark Office that was, that was canceling the Washington football team's original name, because it was disparaging that they would get rid of it. And this was a fight that people didn't realize had been going on for 50, 60 years, um, much of the time uh, led by a woman by the name of Suzanne uh, Shone Harjo, uh, who is native and relocated from Oklahoma to Washington, D.C. to run a bunch of different things on Capitol Hill, native, dealing with Native affairs. She'd been doing that for 50 years. And so to us, it was a Jane versus Goliath kind of a thing. And we were really attracted to her story. We couldn't quite generate the money that we needed in the first couple of years. Um, and I happened to mention it to a friend of mine, Aviva Kempner, who's a filmmaker here in Washington, DC, who is well known for uh, documentaries that she's done about heroes and heroines within the Jewish diaspora, um, two of which are sports films. One was called uh, The Spy Behind Home Plate, which is about Mo Berg, uh, the, the catcher who was also a spy. And the uh, previous one was a story about Hank Greenberg, which is a, a tremendous story. Um, and so 
um, she was attracted to the project. She had the, her company, Chesla Foundation, had the infrastructure and scaffolding we needed really to make it happen. Um, she introduced me to Ben West, who was from D.C., Cheyenne, um, his father, uh, Rick West, was the founding director of the National um, uh, Museum of the American Indian here in D.C. Um, they both connected us to Indian country and Indian country money, which was uh, uh, key to us doing this whole thing. There are two, two uh, tribes are our are our executive producers, uh, uh, Yocha Dihi Wintun Nation and uh, San Manuel out of, um, out of, both out of California. And then out of Chicago, we were, uh, we were, um, became an attractive um, issue for uh, Jessica and Steve Sarowitz. And uh, they gave us a very generous um, contribution um, as executive producers. And in fact, last night, at Steve Sarowitz's new theater, the Wayf I think it's called the Wayfarer in Highland Park. Um, they actually screened the film there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been a long time coming. Um, uh, it's a, it's a advocacy film. Um, I'm a, I'm a journalist who's born out of the advocacy journalism movement. Um, we want to continue, uh, this, this, uh, campaign to get these images and names um, that mock indigenous people um, in sports in particular uh, removed. And I should say when we started in 2014, the Washington football team I grew up with cheering for still had a racist name. It doesn't now. The Cleveland baseball team, which had a racist name and a racist image, no longer does. Uh, the Edmonton football team in the Canadian Football League had a name based on native folk. They got rid of it. Um, there were over 2,000 high schools that had these names and images. They're now less than 2,000. So it's a slow, arduous process, but native folk are winning this battle, and we think it's important to tell it. Uh, it's a great flick, by the way. I was lucky to see it uh kevin was in town i forget when kevin lost track of time yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out shout out Uduwak, our dear friend was with us was absolutely out, uh and his lovely wife tracy anyway um so part of the movie uh is just exposing folks to something that was in in front of them our whole lives and we mm -hmm. like never put one on one together uh, and that is, if you have a team named the Washington Redskins, which is what right. the name of the team was. When I first met Kevin back in 1982, he was a huge Washington. Oh, huge. He had T-shirts. T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Hats. Are you kidding me? What Daryl Green did to the Bears. Okay. Playoffs okay. okay. That punt return where he rips uh, his okay. rib cage. <laughs> Dancing across Soldier Field into uh, the end zone is still uh, one of the most amazing things in the history of the NFL. Okay. All right. Just calm down. Uh, anyway, um, 1986 uh, playoff game where the Bears uh, could not defend their Super Bowl championship. They lost in the first round. They had no coach. Okay. That was the problem. They had a buffoon. All right. Now, neither here nor there. All right. Let's focus uh, on the issues at stake. Okay. Uh, so, but it's just like it never – 
I, I'm just speaking for myself. You know, I just never thought like this is really insulting. You know, and I forget when I was like had that moment of revelation. You know, I can't remember. It's like this is really insulting. Right. And it was really around the time you had it too. I want to say, like yeah. the two of us. I remember conversations like, "I'm, I'm through with this. I'm not going to call him that anymore. I just, I can't believe it." You know, you and I right. were both like, "I can't believe," you know. Um, I remember you know, I got a picture of you when they were on strike, and you have a T-shirt. It goes Washington Red Scabs. Absolutely, still got the shirt. That's right. <laughs> I still got the shirt. Absolutely. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, the amazing thing is to me is that. We are both progressive politically. We grew up in progressive households. Like, but this particular issue never resonated. And, and, and that's what's amazing. And, it, and so it's really um, an educational process. And even though I say it never resonated, when I started working on the, uh, on the um, I first started talking about and writing about the issue, um, my father, uh, went into his files and he, he, I always call my father the epistolary activist because he was always writing letters. And so he, he shuffles through his files and he pulls out this letter. Um, and it's a letter he wrote to the acting president of the team in 1965, um, Edward Bennett Williams. And he, he said that, um, he, he asked that the team's famous marching band remove from its its repertoire the song Dixie, which they would play at, every, at the opening of every home game. And he said, because it's an insult to Negro ticket holders like himself and his friends, um, and it represents a dead society that lost the most important war in the history of this country. And to Edward Bennett Williams' credit, he wrote my father back and said, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'll see that it's, it's done. And I have those letters framed um, on my, my office wall. So um, there was some consciousness that the team did some things or represented some things that were not congruent with a democratic society or a, a democratic America that we supposedly have. But my father never, he never focused in on on the name and the and the imagery. Yeah. In fact, the picture I've used I used of him in his obit in 2004 was sitting in the stands where he loved to be, with a cap on his head, wow. with, the, with the name and the logo. Yeah, yeah. It just um, well, it, it probably it gets into a whole larger story about uh, this country's treatment of Native Americans and its attitude about it. And uh, if you're not here, you don't exist. Uh, and uh, so I urge everybody to check the flick out, but, uh, Kevin, I got to ask you right here in the city of Chicago, uh, we have a, a hockey team sure do. called the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, and you talk about all the different, uh, franchises that have changed their name, the Washington football team, the yep. Cleveland baseball team. Uh, but you still have the Blackhawks. You still have the Kansas city chiefs. You still have yep. the Atlanta Braves. Yep. Uh, let's start local, with the Blackhawks. Sure. What's the likelihood in your humble opinion, that the Blackhawks would change their name? Um, I think it's better now than it's ever been. Um, and I'll say that because uh, a couple of things have happened. Um, one, uh, I, I think it was two years ago, 
when the NHL rolled out their new sweaters, they do their new campaign. And the way that they rolled out the the uh, Chicago sweater was not so much to emphasize the the image of a native person on the chest. And so I thought that was, I just made note of that. That was kind of interesting. And then the other thing is they have gone overboard uh, just like the Washington football team uh, franchise has, has done in, in recent years to kind of, to find a, a, a native group that they could buy off um, to point to and say, look, they're okay with our imagery, so don't you worry about it. Um, and so that would be the second Fox Nation. And they even um, <laughs> they even got a hold of a Black Hawk helicopter and gave it to the second Fox Nation out in Oklahoma, I believe. A, a second Fox Nation, by the way, which includes uh, one of Jim Thorpe's relatives um who is not at all i think his granddaughter who is not at all um happy about uh happy about this situation um and not all sack and fox folks are on board with this but it's politics you know it and if you get enough of the people who supposedly run the nation uh to come on board because you've given them some uh, uh, a few loaves of bread, um, they come on board as representatives of the entire Second Fox Nation. And so that's what, that's what uh, the Chicago franchise has done more and more over the years. You know what's interesting? Uh, the side discussion of whenever, when there's Native Americans who say, oh, I have no objection to the uh, the logo, or I have no objection to the name, right. and and the team promotes them, and I'm like, who knows if how representative they are, right, of Native Americans as a whole. I'd uh, almost like to say it's incidental, and I'll explain what I mean. Right now, if you did a survey of Black people in America, and you asked them. In their humble opinion, should black history be taken out of the textbooks in Florida? If you ask them, should Rosa Parks' race be eliminated from a children's textbook in Florida? I guarantee you, Kevin, 95% would say no. Is that stopping right. Ron DeSantis from taking it out? No. No. You <laughs> can choose. Well, this, this Indian guy in Tulsa is okay with him. Right. What's your problem, Ben? I'm like, God damn it. You guys just pick and choose as you go. Absolutely. You and know? then they will find somebody in that 5%, which is amazing. Somehow, <laughs> some way, they'll find that one person. But yeah, well, I don't want to, I don't want. I don't want this country to be any more divided. So we should take Rosa Parks yeah. out, uh, because that was a horrible time and it makes <laughs> white people feel bad. Yeah, no, it would probably be Larry Elders or Herschel Walker. There you or go. Tim Scott. Tim Scott. <laughs> There's the whole cast of characters you can get. By the way, Kevin, if you're willing to do it, you could make big money. Just saying, man. Just, you do just that. Cross over. Just, just cross over. Fox will take care of you. <laughs> you can do it, Kevin.
Oh my goodness! Talk about selling soul. You know what? One thing I was thinking about though with this with this uh, film, I've told people about from time to time. Anytime I'm thinking about Chicago, Steve Coakley. Oh my goodness! What a yeah, <laughs> Steve Coakley. Steve yeah. Coakley. He was running around in the '80s trying yeah. to put the kibosh on Columbus Day. Yes, he was because of what Columbus meant to indigenous people. Yeah, and we used to think. Steve Coakley was nuts, and he may have been. He may have been, and I shouldn't. I don't want to speak that way of one who is no longer with us. Um, but he was on to something, and now we look around this country, and we see that people have begun to question Columbus Day to the point where, in some places, has been eliminated. Um, and replaced by Indigenous Peoples Day, or in other or in other places, has been conjoined with Indigenous Peoples Day. So that's interesting. Yeah, he was ahead yeah, of. I, yeah, well, in that regard, let's not talk about uh, Steve Coakley's attitude toward Jewish people. Really weird. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. That uh, was yeah. that uh, was not one of Harold Washington's finer hires. Yeah, no, Eugene Sawyer. Uh, Eugene Sawyer. And, uh, uh, Monroe Anderson every Wednesday comes on the show. Every now and then, we he was uh, Eugene Sawyer's press secretary. Monroe was, uh, and we uh, we find her every now and then. We go back to Coakley. Uh, we talk about so he still lives on the Ben Jarofsky show. Okay, uh, I always got along with the guy. You know, it was it was kind of weird. It was sort of like he was speaking in abstract about Jewish people, uh, and when yeah. you're just dealing with them, I don't know. Anyway, all right, enough on Steve Coakley. Yeah. Uh, I I, I I don't see it happening anytime soon with the with the Blackhawks. Uh, somehow or other, uh, Blackhawk fans view this as like they're a tribute right. uh, to Native Americans. In fact, there's a logo in the. I don't know if you ever seen this in the locker room. Um, there's a uh, the the team logo is on a. I think it's like a carpet on the carpet. On the floor. Right. Yeah, and like if you stand on that, that's supposed to be sacrilegious. And I remember when Justin Bieber was performing at the United Center and he was, uh, I guess he was using the Blackhawks locker room as his dressing room. He stepped on the logo and it was just like a big deal on the internet. And I'm like, this is what you're complaining. Exactly. Thank you very much. You can't, oh, don't step on that. But you were just stepping on Native American culture that you have absolutely misappropriated for your own enjoyment. But don't step on the, don't step on the logo on the carpet. Come on, people. Yeah. What are we doing here? Uh, all right. Uh, so let's make the transition to some news that's been going on. Sure. I don't know if it was this week or last week. I've lost track of time, Kevin. Uh, but Daniel Snyder, uh, the owner of the aforementioned Washington football team, now known as the Commanders, coached by our former Chicago Bear. Uh, yeah. Dreadful yeah. team, by the way, no matter what their name is. Uh, and did almost as incompetent as the Chicago Bears when it comes to drafting. Um Almost. Okay. Almost. No, no team in football has ever committed such an egregious uh, just crime or sin as trading up to draft Mitch Trubisky ah. when you could have drafted Patrick Mahomes. No team in football. Right. And Bear fans like and Bear writers, they're like a denial on this. I'm like, guys, every day you should wake up and go, we can have Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> And you know what Bear fans tell me, Kevin? This is how, like, Bear fans are so – they're like, Ben, you don't understand. If 
Bears drafted Patrick Mahomes. He wouldn't be Patrick Mahomes. The Bears would have destroyed him. So they think like <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. What? So let me get this straight, Bears fans. With your logic, if the Chiefs had drafted Patrick uh, Mitch Trubisky, would he now be Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> guys, don't make any sense. Sorry, I didn't get tangent there. I it is a bad draft. Yeah, uh, it's, it's horrible. All right. Let's uh, so a little uh, relief from you. Uh, Daniel Snyder is going to sell the team. Why don't you take the deep dive and explain the significance of his tenure with the Washington football team? I probably wrote 10 years ago that Daniel Snyder was the worst owner in professional sports. Pick a sport. He's the worst. And I based that at the time just off of the the how gold-plated this franchise was that he bought. This was a cornerstone franchise of the NFL, mm-hmm. um, a perennial playoff team, the, the most valued, the highest valued team or its second value that depends on the year in the NFL, which is the richest sports c- corporation on the planet Earth. And famously had it was it, it, it was so gold plated famously had a waiting list of that went on for years for people trying to get season tickets in his 20 some years of owning this team he has driven it off the cliff and it is still tumbling down the side of the mountain um it is now it has lost its value, its its monetary value. It's lost so much of its fan base. I, I don't know how much, including someone like me, who I never thought I would reach a point in my life where I would say, I can't watch them. I can't go to those games. I can't even I can't even cheer for them. Um, uh, I don't have my folks season tickets when they gave them up. I didn't care. Um, they don't win. They make horrible moves in the front office. And then you pile on top of all of that the disgrace of learning how offensive your name and imagery is and then sounding like George Wallace in the schoolhouse door saying, never will I change that name. Um, And then to find out that you have turned the office um, into um, a Caligula type <laughs> environment where you are photographing and harassing cheerleaders who work for the team to the point where uh, they say in depositions how horrible their work experience has been and find the courage to go to Capitol Hill and and tell the nation how horribly they've been treated. Um, and then to be found that you 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 um, uh, uh, cheated ticket holders out of their money. That's the, that's one of the latest things um, you tried to squash freedom of expression at the stadium when people would put up by outlawing people carrying signs in that um, that are calling for your ouster or, or anyone else is associated with the team um, to use uh, uh, Hispanic coach, uh, a black president, 
um, a woman in a high position um, to deodorize your racism, your sexism, and all your other isms is just too much to bear. And so uh, Daniel Snyder's reign over this team, over this franchise, cannot cannot be severed soon enough. It's horrible. Uh, And so he uh, was... Was he forced to sell? He's not being forced to sell. He doesn't have to sell. He doesn't have to sell. Um, the only way he can be forced out is if uh, X number of owners, of the 32 owners, and I forget if it's two-thirds or what it is, but if they hold a vote to vote him out, then he would be forced to sell. And, of course, he would probably fight that in court. So now you're going to have a protracted uh, uh, legal struggle. Um, but, uh, a few owners have spoken out and said that they hope that he sells fans have said that they hope that he sells. And so it appears now that within the next few weeks, he will sell the team to another Washingtonian, a guy by the name of Josh Harris, who has some ownership with the New Jersey devils and the 76ers and is a billionaire. Um, of course you have to be a billionaire to, to buy an NFL team. Um, that he'll sell the team to him for six million, no, six and a half billion dollars. Wow. Um, and he bought the team for eight hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, largely with the help of other people's money. Yeah. So this guy is going to walk away uh, with a fantastic golden parachute for a team that he has absolutely ruined. Okay. Which to me seems to be incredibly. Uh, Unjust. Well, we'll we'll get into a contrast. We're we're going to discuss Draymond Green in a little while, and it's the, uh, uh-huh. some contrasts. Uh, but let me go back to uh, a similar situation. When you said he's the worst owner, immediately it popped mm-hmm. in my mind. Uh, what was his name? Donald Donald Sterling, Sterling. of Absolutely. the L.A. Clippers. But then when you you went on and you elaborated, you said, "Well, he t- he took something that was really uh, doing well." Uh, and he just ruined it. And I said, "Well, the, I don't think the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers were ever doing well. So they were never doing well, which yeah. is one of the reasons my hypothesis that other NBA owners um, didn't mind didn't mind him as an owner because he was not competitive. Yeah. He wasn't costing them money, but he also wasn't competitive in in the in in the basketball season. Well, okay, so explain uh, to listeners." And I just can't remember how I, I think Adam Silver was the commissioner at the time, or maybe it was Stern. I can't remember how yeah, the yeah, was, Adam was, Silver was, had just become commissioner when everything blew up. Blew up. Okay, so uh, it was a very embarrassing leak uh, that where uh, Donald Sterling was saying some racist stuff about Magic Johnson. I can't remember the specifics. Right. It doesn't really matter. That's all you need to know. Magic right. Johnson is a god in L.A., ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so like when you walk into the Los Angeles airport, there's a huge <laughs> I think that's like to taunt me because the Bulls <laughs> lost the draft choice. I'm the only one who remembers this. In 79, like the Bulls could have we were, we were tied with the worst record with the, the Lakers and we there was a coin flip. If we won, we would have gotten magic. Jo- of course, knowing the Bulls, they'd have screwed that one up. <laughs> Taking whoever they took. Yeah. 78-79. That's see, I remember that draft because the uh, Wizards failed to uh, hold on to their championship uh, that they had won the previous season. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, but as I recall, it was an ultimatum. 
I, I mean, it's yeah. blurry in my mind, but Adam Silver basically said, uh-uh, you cannot You're do exactly this, right. tolerate this, you got to sell this team. Uh, we'll see you in court if we have to, but you're going to sell this team. Yeah, uh, you, no, you're exactly right. That's exactly the way uh, it went down. They suspended him and then said, you got to go. Um, and and he went. Um, and then, of course, I think he sold for $2 billion um, after having bought the team and founded the team uh, in L.A. for like, I don't know, uh, a few million dollars. And I'm not saying a few, but it was a whole lot less than $2 yes. billion. Yeah. So and then and then you had Robert Sarver, um, just forced out with the Suns. Yeah. After just wow, just uh, horrible workplace environment, um, and he too um, sells the team for far more than he had purchased purchased it for like twenty years earlier, or whatever. And he gets to walk away with all that money, no penalty. You know, the only penalty for them is you know like a scarlet letter in terms of an of being an owner. Um, but me as a fan, I, I want, I want more blood. I, I, I want more of a penalty. You should not be able to just walk away with a pot of profit um, from your horrible stewardship. I'm, I'm trying to think of how that could possibly be more. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're talking. I don't want to go too far afield. One of my favorite topics uh, is capitalism. Uh, and the many inconsistencies embedded in capitalism, and they are no, they are no more prominently displayed than in sports, which have all these uh, collective bargaining agreements right. that effectively protect. It's socialism. They protect the profits of the end, the the owners of the franchises, who are all free market advocates when it comes to their sure. uh, supposed ideologies. Most, many of them, I think I've seen the studies, donate to uh, free market Republicans. They vote yeah. Republican. Uh, but when it comes to <laughs> their pocketbooks, they want those profits protected. Uh, so disingenuous. And this is the latest one I love. So the whole thing about Lamar Jackson, right, holding out for a guaranteed contract. And all the owners, oh, that, woo, we, we can't do that. You know what? Owners have a guaranteed contract with the broadcasters, yes. with broadcast rights. And they get a check every August before the season starts, guaranteed. Whether you are great, whether you stink, or whether you're in the middle, it doesn't matter. So guaranteed for us, but no, not for labor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson for our non-sports uh, listeners, great quarterback for uh, the Baltimore football team. All right, yeah. uh, and so uh, I always, I always feel compelled, uh, Kevin. I really, just, you know what? There's a lot of political junkies out there listening to this. They have no idea. I know you, yeah. you, you, you cannot believe that people do not know who Lamar Jackson is. But the other day, I did a whole riff. I'm not going to repeat it. But I went to the doctor. I just have to share this one more time. Uh, and by chance, I talked to four people. Uh, Asking each in in I couldn't more, greater growing disbelief who Dion Warwick is, and none of them knew who Dion Warwick is. So Kevin, I learned my lesson. I I, I take. <laughs> Can you play that a little louder? Oh, come on. She was the song track of the '60s and the '70s. Uh, I just am one of my favorite, absolute favorite uh, singers of all time. I still haven't gotten over it. All right. Uh, so let's go to Draymond Green. Yeah. Uh, this is 
So Draymond Green for non-sports uh, listeners, I mean for uh, political junkies who don't know anything about sports, uh, is a uh, outstanding forward for the defending champion Golden State Warriors basketball team. He got into a fracas the other night uh, with uh, Sabonis, an outstanding power forward for the Sacramento Kings. Sabonis was on the ground, grabbed Draymond Green by the leg. I don't know what he was, why he did that. That's a whole other story. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And Draymond Green responded by uh, stepping on Sabonis. Stepping? Stepping? That's like saying the the Chicago fire was was a campfire. Stepping? Okay, what would you call it? Stomping? Uh, Stomping, okay. (laughs) And then, by the way, was... Come on, Sabonis! You would have thought Sabonis like like a like a ton of bricks had fallen. Ah, he's on the, the amount of acting in the NBA these days. Ah, ah. <laughs> I thought I thought. Oh my God, we're watching at the bowling alley. I go, this guy must have a broken chest. I don't. Is there such a thing as a broken chest? This guy's a broke. And then he, he gets up. He's okay. And then they're like, Well, we're gonna do MRIs. And what's <laughs> yeah. wrong with this guy? Okay. It was, it was unbelievable theater. But here's the thing. How about one last thing? Draymond yeah. Green was suspended. Here, here's what the point. Right. Draymond Green in the middle of the playoffs was suspended, kicked out of that game, which uh, Sacramento won. The Warriors right. lost and suspended for the next game, which the Warriors won. Okay, take it away. Right. And so the, the thing that got me about it was Draymond Green's uh, his history is. Um, he's a great player, great facilitator, great glue guy, um, does all the dirty stuff, um, <laughs> including this. But he's <laughs> supposed to get under the opponent's skin, right? That's what he's supposed to do, be an irritant. But he can't handle it when someone irritates him. And so brilliant for Sabonis, get him so irritated, you get him kicked out of the next game. And now, as the, you know, the new rules are, um, you, you gather points, right, with um, – technical fouls and so if he gets a few more i forget what the number is i think it's six or five or whatever if you accumulate a few more you get kicked out of another game so a brilliant move by um sabonis and and yeah and draymond just can't control himself so so do you think joe dumars uh who is the 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 former player uh who runs the disciplinary committee at the nba and adam silver's uh, i'm sure he was had a say in it uh, we're correct in suspending him for a game in the playoffs. Absolutely, playoff. absolutely. Because I mean, to me, there are a number of things. Number one, he's a recidivist, um, and Golden State fans will point to, and and LeBron haters will point to Game Five of the. I can't remember what year it was. The Warriors Cleveland series, two thousand and sixteen. Two thousand and sixteen. There you go. Um, and he gets kicked out of that game. It may have tur- his absence resulted in a loss and that may have turned the momentum in that series. That's what folks will, will say. And, and LeBron won a, another championship. Um, so he's got, he's a recidivist. The other thing was um, the commissioner is sitting in the stands at yeah. this game and, <laughs> and Draymond is egging on the, the fans and they're yelling and screaming. So you got that going on. Yeah. And then afterwards, he's not remorseful at all for what he did or for the position they put his teammates in. So I, I think all of that kind of added up to the fact that, yeah, you, 
you've not you've not learned what we're trying to be now. Even though I'm Joe Dumars and I played for <laughs> I, played, <laughs> I played for one of the dirtiest teams in the history of the league, but that's then. That's not now. They've gotten away from that. They've tried to get away from that. Well, they tr- I mean Listen, there's so many issues at stake here, but your last point about Joe Dumars, yes, the, the, their nickname was The Bad Boys. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> they were probably they would do public muggings of Michael Jordan. No? <laughs> and that was their nickname. And by the way, if you ever watch the videos, I've spent uh, embarrassed to say how many times I've watched videos, YouTube interviews about the 80s and 90s. Yeah. way Larry Bird talks about Bill Ambeer, who was the bad right. boy, bad boy. Is just he hates him to this day. If you, I, I won't shake his hand. I remember there was an interview. Where if I saw him, I would not shake his hand. I would just walk by. Because wow. he's saying, real, not manufactured. No. Well, he's a dirty player. See, here's right. the thing: he's a dirty player. So Lambert was known for putting his foot under uh, guys when they would fall. When they would take a jump shot, when they come down the ground, they would land on his foot. You could twist an ankle. You're gone for three or four weeks. Yeah. Uh, Larry Bird, it did, to him, that's just dirty. That's just. Yeah cross the line so i never thought about that so what you're saying is that what, what saponis did was actually a savvy move it was like I dennis so. rodman instigating a lot alonzo morning or Absolutely. frank Burkowski or whatever yeah. getting that kicked out of the game exactly so that was he, he he knew he could do it and 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 uh draymond took the bait so what so he grabbed Draymond's what 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 Draymond should have just like done an exaggerated fall and then in the agony holding his leg. Like, right. Oh my god, my right. and then and then point to Sabonis and yeah. they would have seen it and there would have been one tech and it wouldn't have been on him. But he could not control himself in the moment. Wow. You're right. He probably would have gotten Sabonis kicked out of the game. Yeah. yeah. Instead he got kicked out of the game. <laughs> kicked out you know of what? Before we move on to that, I just want to address something you said, a little pushback here. I cannot stand the Golden State Warriors. So whenever I hear anybody, and it's said all the time, talk about the 2016 championship, which was probably the only time I ever openly rooted for a team from Cleveland. Uh, Whenever I hear anybody say, oh, the Warriors won it because Draymond Green. Right. uh, I'm like. Hello, Warrior fans. You that was game five. You were up three to two. You still had game six and seven. Stop crying. All you exactly. guys do is cry and whine and blame somebody else. You got your butts whooped. Kyrie Irving hit that cold-blooded jump shot. Had nothing to do with Draymond Green. Okay. See, there you go. And I would say, and you know that because you're you were you root for the Cubs, and you know that the whole Bartman thing, you had an opportunity. After Bartman to come back, and you didn't do it. By the way, point of fact, who was at my house <laughs> <laughs> the night of the Bartman game? Kevin Blackestone, remember? We oh, watched absolutely. that game together. You were in the kitchen when it <laughs> happened, when the moment happened. I was in the kitchen. I think you heard me kind of groaning when you asked yeah. what happened. Oh, well. And then I, as soon as I saw the replay, I'm like, that's it. They're going to blow it. You and you're like, come on, Ben. Next thing you know, blow, blow. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll never forget that. All right. Uh, and uh, let's clo- uh, close the uh, basketball segment. Your thoughts about um, LeBron James uh, and Dylan Brooks. Uh, I absolutely love this rivalry. Uh, that's Dylan Brooks is like he plays for Memphis. He's yeah. a mediocre basketball player. Um who plays very physical. Let's be honest. He's a mediocre in terms of the NBA. They're all great if you're in the NBA, but among the group, he's mediocre. And yet he 
<laughs> he gets so much attention because he like elbows guys, trips guys, talks trash. You know, he, gets he just in their, yeah gets in her face, Ron's face, and and then afterwards he's wearing like I don't know. He looked like he had a robe on, no shirt, under with a huge, a huge uh, <laughs> uh, uh, diamond. Uh, Looked like a diamond encrusted <laughs> chain around his neck with his initials, some crazy glasses. He is he is one of the new characters in NBA. He's got some Dennis Rodman showboat in him. Um, he plays hard. I'll give him that. Um, but Dylan, at the end of your career, <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But the end of your career, you're going to have to buy a ticket just like me to go into the Basketball Hall of Fame to look at LeBron James's memorial or statue or whatever they put in there, you know. So I'm enjoying it, but okay. So I will take this opportunity to take this conversation in this direction and get your response. There's a raging debate among basketball fans as to who the greatest basketball player is of all time. Uh, If you're above the age of, let's say. 55 i would say that would be the lower age you will say michael jeffrey jordan unless you're me and you'll say will chamberlain and that's just my own thing uh okay uh if you are 40 and below you will say lebron james because that's what you know you don't really know michael jordan so millennials will say lebron james there was a game ladies and gentlemen in the 1990s Involving, I believe they were at the time, the Washington Bullets. Now the known as the Washington Wizards. This is the greatest game in the history of the Washington Wizards. There's not a lot, or the Washington Bullets. They don't have a lot of great games to fall on, so this may be their greatest game. They had a guard named LeBradford Smith. LeBradford Smith, playing against Michael Jeffrey Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, scored 35 points. Kevin Blackstone has not stopped talking about this game. Oh, this game was 30 years ago. He still talks about it. What he does at home court in yes. Chicago it, what, at the stadium. Noticeably absent from Kevin's recollection of this game is that by weird quirk of the schedule, the very next day that Bulls were in the Bullets were playing each other in Washington, Jordan scored 35 points on Bradford Smith in the first half. In the first half. So that was Jordan's way of saying, don't you dare score 35 <laughs> points on me again. All right. Fast forward. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks talking trash because his team beat Los Angeles. Said in the locker room afterwards, right. he's not worried about LeBron James. LeBron is old. Right. If he had said that about Michael Jeffrey Jordan, oh. I would be like, Go watch that game, that next game. You're going to see something. <laughs> this is why he's the GOAT. Do you You're right. think LeBron James has it in him to have a Jordan-like performance? I think the game is tonight, Friday. Maybe. Right. The rematch is tonight. Will he put Dylan Brooks in his place the way Michael Jeffrey Jordan would, or will he just, like, pass the ball to somebody else? No, he won't. he won't. He won't because, because LeBron and Jordan are two different players. In that sense, LeBron is more of a facilitator, even though we know that Michael Jeffrey Jordan made two great passes in championship moments that made two guys stars, heroes. 
Um, yeah, so I don't see, you know, Dylan Brooks said he won't respect him unless he puts 40 on him. Now, could he go out and put 40 on him? Yes. But would that be to the detriment of his team? Yes. And so I don't see that. I don't see that happening. I mean, because the bottom line is the he needs all the help he can get with that Lakers team to, to, to defy everybody. Who knows if Anthony Davis, what quarter Anthony Davis will get hurt in in this particular game. You know, um, <laughs> it's true. You know, it's true. Because oh my, something will hurt somebody. Oh, stop. He's from Chicago. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Must not be from the West Side. No, um, he's not. <laughs> oh, Lord. He's from uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But could he? If if he just if he just wanted to do that to Dylan Brooks, oh sure, he could put forty on. But I hope he does put forty on. I want to see uh, LeBron. I, I I'll push back a little bit with you when he needed the. I think it was when he wanted to finally just once and all uh, break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record. I was watching oh, yeah. the game, had tears in my eyes, Kevin. I couldn't believe there's something about seeing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the court. Uh, what of all time, by the way. Go ahead. Whoa. Wait a minute. What? You don't, don't just sneak that one out there. Uh, uh, Will Chamberlain from Overbrook High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Wilt was great. And Sonny Hill of the great, who runs the great Sonny Hill League, one of the first, maybe the first black broadcaster for NBA games, who I know will always says that the basketball discussion begins with Will Chamberlain. Yes. So he's, he's on your side. Absolutely. Um, and no player has ever been ripped off for an MVP more so than Wilt was in a year that he averaged 50 and 25. And then Bill Russell got another, got another MVP trophy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 50, wow. yeah, but The one thing that sets, for me, that sets Kareem apart is that he was an innovator in the game. The skyhook was his and his alone. No one has been able to, I mean, one of the most, the most unstoppable shot in the history of basketball. And, um, I mean, he was just just beautiful to watch. He could do everything, you know. And then I love his politics. I love it. And his con- and a shout out to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's newsletter. I just read it today. It's outstanding. I would love to get him to come on the podcast, talk politics with him. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm a huge, listen, I, I don't even want to go there. No disrespect. Loved him. I loved him when he was a player. It was one of the few times he destroyed my beloved Bulls. And yet I always had love for when he was Lou Alcindor with the Bucks. That's right. Uh, and when he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and love his books. I'm looking at his book right now. Uh, Great jazz giant. guy, too. Yeah. Oh, we're going to close with some jazz. Uh, but the point I was going to make was when he had to score the points, LeBron right. James did. Suddenly he yeah. wasn't passing. Suddenly right. he, he was. Do right. Do it. And he scored he whatever 38 ever he needed to break the record. Yep. Uh, just he wanted to get it over with. So I'm really hoping he has a Michael Jordan performance tonight. And then it would just keep that debate going. All right. Let's let's close uh, your thoughts. Uh, in addition to being a great sports writer and uh, political writer, uh, Kevin is um, one of the most knowledgeable jazz uh, fans I know, right up there with my dear friend uh, Keith uh, Cap Porter and Mike Alamana and Salim Muwakil. 
Oh, uh, Celine. This is the Mount Rushmore of jazz oh. guys. Uh, and I turn to you guys, your uh, whatever, there's like jazz in the news. Neil um, Tester, you got to throw Neil in. Neil the Tester, uh, yeah. Neil Tester from the, the the many years reader writer. All right, uh, Ahmad Jamal uh, just died. Great, great, great piano player. Your thoughts, man, about the great? Yeah, uh, he was a, he, yeah, he was a beautiful. I mean, his his approach to music is just beautiful. It's just something that that um, captures you and and draws you right in. Um, his signature song is Poinciana. Um, and the signature on top of Poinciana is Poinciana Live, which is incredible. Um, and it's one of those songs that anytime I hear it, I can't turn it off. I just have to listen to it because it's such a beautiful song. And that's the way all of his music um, uh, was, is. I kind of thought about him up until uh, I read comments, uh, mem- remembrances of him over the past few days, sort of like Ramsey Lewis. In the sense that, um, and this isn't, he, he, he departs from this, but much of his career was um, performing kind of like pop tunes, putting the jazz jazz styling on it. Um, and Ramsey Lewis did, did that in, incredibly uh, uh, well. Um, but Ramsey Lewis never got, I don't think he was respected as highly as Ahmad Jamal. And I was surprised that Ahmad Jamal was considered to be as influential in jazz as his peers have talked about him um, since dying um, and have talked about him over the years, comparing him like Miles Davis, saying that everything he did or so much of what he did was based on what he heard from Ahmad Jamal or Stanley Crouch, um, the late great essayist and thinker um, comparing Ahmad Jamal's um, place in jazz to Charlie Parker's. I, I was blown away. I had no idea that that fellow musicians um, thought of him as such an influential figure. Um, uh, and such a, and I mean, I, I knew that people thought he knew he was, a, I guess, a legendary pianist. Um, but to be an influence, I was very surprised by that. Great I was I caught off guard too. It reminded me when Joey DeFrancisco died, the great oh. uh, uh, keyboardist. I mean, uh, shout out Heath Cap Porter turned me on to Joey DeFrancisco. Uh, so lucky to have seen him and uh, before he died, obviously. Uh, but yeah, the outpouring, you know, yeah. I just, I loved him. I, I didn't know he was so significant. Uh, right. Yeah. And DeFrancisco, I mean, I, I'd seen him play a couple times when I lived in Dallas. He used to come into a very small club there named uh, called Torelli's um, Italian place that had jazz. And it's a small place. And he would be bring that organ in there, man. And (laughs) whoa, I mean, it was already loud. Now it's like, I mean, he would just have that. You felt like you were in an earthquake. Could he could he go? Interestingly enough, um, he and Christian McBride grew up to be best friends. They went to the same, I believe they went to the same performing arts uh, Is that right? uh, college, yeah, in, in Philly. And of course, DeFrancisco's father is a is a great musician yeah. uh, as well. And so uh yeah, they, they grew up and they they kind of went their separate ways, not as friends, but musically in terms of like where they were really gonna start their careers, 
I think Christian McBride pretty much stayed on the East Coast. I think DeFrancesco went to, I think he went to like to Arizona or something on the West Coast. Um, but yeah, tremendous. Traveled so much. He was always yeah. on the road. On the road. He came to Chicago yep. so many times. Uh, and I, I just, uh, it, uh, Ahmad Jamal, just shout this out. Uh, he has a live album. Uh, Chicago Revisited live at Joe Siegel's Jazz Showcase. Ah, Joe Siegel. It, yeah, the late great Joe Siegel, uh, where I saw Joey D. Francesco. Anyway, I urge everybody if you just want to check out some beautiful music, just listen to that record. I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop. Yeah, beautiful music. Yeah, and uh, the great Amajamal. All right, uh, Kevin, one more time, tell folks the name of your movie, uh, where they can see it. Absolutely. Uh, Imagining the Indian. The Fight Against Native American Mascotting, opening tonight at the Gene Siskel uh, Theater at 7 p.m., and it'll be playing um, until next Wednesday at that location. Uh, you can go on their website and find out the times. Um, and tonight, if you go, you get um, the extra added treat of having the co-directors, uh, Aviva Kempner and Ben West, um, do a talk back after the film. Great movie. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, it uh, really opened your eyes about stuff. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time. To oh, talk this has been to great. Uh, it's yeah, a next blast. time, maybe we can talk about that 86 playoff game, um, a pivotal moment in Washington football history. Oh, we just, <laughs> we just ran right over it. Yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. We had a bad sort, coach. So sort a bad of like. Coach. Sort of like Green running right over the Chicago Bears punt defense. Um, anyway, uh, just couldn't resist doing that line for you. Ah, uh, yeah, the Bears. The I, was it? Eight, I think it was '86. I don't even think it was calendar year '87. It was. It was after the '86 season. So I believe the first playoff game was still in December. That's my memory. Yeah. Uh, oh God, did I have to put up with some trash talking from one Kevin Blackstone? <laughs> Who was the quarterback for for Washington? Was it Thaisman? Oh, it was either uh, I don't know if Thaisman or his leg broken there. by then. It may have been Jay Schrader by then. No, it, um, well, oh my God! <laughs> I have to look. That, I'll have to look that up. Was it Doug Williams? Um, Doug had a short. Uh, Doug was won it won the Super Bowl in '87. Yeah, that was so, that would that would have yeah. been him. Yeah, so that may have it been was Doug Williams. Yeah, where. I love the Bears. I don't know why I root for them. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, Kevin. And I also want to thank producer Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it yeah, out of petty Chris. cash. Get a cap next time. Yeah, get a cap next time, Chris. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and more great content at chicagoreader.com. Follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.